Today's sermon passage is found in Matthew 17. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. And the disciples asked him, Then why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? He answered, Elijah does come, and he will restore all things. But I tell you that Elijah has already come, and they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they pleased. So also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. Amen. You guys may be seated. As you take your seat, let's pray together. Our Father, thank you that you have made yourself known to us. Thank you for your word in which you reveal yourself And show us what it means to know you and follow you. Thank you for your son in whom we have redemption. In whom we are called the sons of God. In whom we have hope. In whom we walk. Now Lord we pray you would be our guide and our teacher today. We pray you would cause us to see Jesus as he is. And be transformed. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, it's good to see you all this morning. If you haven't done so already, take your Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 17. If you didn't bring a Bible today, there are some under the seat in front of you. Feel free to use one of those. We at Redeemer are studying our way through the book of Matthew. And um, two weeks ago, we were in chapter 16, uh, where Jesus said, I must go to Jerusalem and die. And he invited his disciples to go with him. Then for Holy Week, we skipped out of order and we jumped all the way to Jerusalem, to the death, to the burial, to the resurrection. And so now today, uh, we're going to come back and, and jump back in here in chapter 17. So what, where we are in the story of of Jesus in the story of the gospel is Jesus has been teaching. He's been calling his disciples. He's been slowly revealing to the world who he is, but he's been doing so in such a way that they don't misunderstand why he came and they don't misunderstand what his kingdom is. Now we're to the point where Jesus is headed to Jerusalem. And as he's headed to Jerusalem, he is slowly going to begin revealing more things about himself, particularly 
to his disciples. And that's what we have in this story today, is, is Jesus is going to take Peter and James and John and reveal to them something particular about his character and his place as the Son of God. And then we're going to be told at the end that it was as if their eyes were open and they understood. It was, it was as if the light bulb came on and they comprehended. So, so those of you that are parents, I just wonder, have you ever told your kids something like, let's say, 275 times? And then somebody else walks up and says the exact same thing to them and they go, oh, that's brilliant. I've never heard it that way before. Anybody besides me have that experience? Okay. I'm feeling it on the front row here. I'm just feeling it a little bit. Okay. Um, so, so we have to hold, I'm not making fun of children. We were all once children. This is how we all grew up in the world. But I think we have to hold that in our minds when we read these stories about the disciples because, yeah, they were at the baptism when God spoke from the heavens, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Yeah, they saw all the miracles. Yeah, they heard all the teaching. But it didn't all come together, right? I think that's how we all kind of learn and work. And so what we're going to be told here is in this back and forth with Jesus around this work, this revelation that happens in this passage, Peter, James, and John come to a moment of, of, of understanding, of, of understanding, oh, this is what's going on. And um, so what we're going to see today is Jesus is giving here to Peter, James, and John a vision of who he really is and a vision of how the dots of the promises of God and the dots of the scripture all connect. And so I think at the end of this, Peter, James, and John have somewhat had some dots of their experience pulled together. Oh, he is the Messiah. Oh, he is the Son of God. Oh, God is pleased with him. Oh, he is the one who is bringing the promises. Oh, he is the latter Moses. Oh, he is the last prophet. Oh, he is the one that we should listen to. All of those dots kind of get connected and come together for these disciples. And that's what I'm going to pray happens for you this morning as well. So let's look at the passage together. And if you want to take notes, the, the first point is uh, transfigured, transfigured. And um, I'm taking that verb right from verse 2. So we read, beginning of verse 1, After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. So we have Jeter, Jesus, Peter, James, John on a mountain. Verse 2, and he, Jesus, was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. So Jesus takes these disciples up on the mountain, and the event of the story is Jesus was transfigured, which is a word that just means changed. It's a word that means transformed. Um, 
The Apostle Paul would later use this same word to speak of the inner transformation that happens to us when we move from death to life in Christ. So it's a word that that means to be changed. So particularly, what was changed about Jesus? Well, we're told his external appearance changed dramatically. His face shone like the sun and his clothes became white as light. Now, those are no happenstance realities. If you, if you were to read through the Old Testament and all the appearances of God before his people, or even the voice of God being revealed to his people, these are the bright lights, the white, the face shining like the sun. These are, these are the images that are come to mind when they think of one who is divine being revealed. So Jesus, his appearance is changed before his disciples, particularly, excuse me, not all of his disciples, but Peter, James, John, and Jesus. Now, we could be left to interpret what does this mean, but the passage is going to give it to us. Verse 3, the story goes on. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. So you have a transformed Jesus, a Moses from generations past, and an Elijah from generations past having a conversation with Jesus. Now this, likewise, isn't happenstance. These are two key Old Testament figures. When the, when the Jews think of the law of God, it's Moses, the one whom God used to bring it. And when they think of the prophets of God, it's Elijah, the great prophet who never faced death, but went, or never died, but just went to be with the Lord. These two figures play prominently in the story of God in the Old Testament. And These two figures play prominently in the coming of Messiah. So in the Old Testament, Moses and Elijah were promised to play prominently in the coming of Messiah. So let's take those in turn. Moses, Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15, Moses promised that the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. So what did Moses say? He said, the Lord's used me to do all these things, but one like me will come. That's what you are looking for and waiting for. That shapes a consciousness, right? We're, we're looking for a figure like Moses, all right? Then Elijah The last words of the Old Testament before the silent period of 400 plus years recorded in Malachi chapter 4. God says, remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, 
lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. So the last word, remember the law, remember Moses, and look for Elijah whom I will send to bring about the the day of the Lord, to bring about the coming of Messiah. So you're a good, faithful Jew. You're longing for the coming of the Lord. You're longing for the day of the Lord. You're longing for the Redeemer of the Lord. And you're looking for this second Moses. And you're looking for this Elijah who was to come. Okay? We all feeling the waves rolling here? Like, oh, this is what's stirring in that pot. Now we're on the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus' face is shining. His clothes are bright, lights of white, and he's talking to Moses and Elijah. This is no happenstance accident. This is the Lord. This is Jesus showing Peter, James, and John, indeed, I am the Savior. I am the promised one. I am the Redeemer. I am the Messiah. I am the Son of God. I am what you've been longing for. It is I. It is I. So in this, the divinity of Jesus is being revealed. In this, the calling of Jesus as the Messiah is being revealed. And in this, these followers, Peter, James, and John, are being affirmed and confirmed that following Jesus is right. Okay, verse 4. I know this is a lot, guys. You guys are like, dude, Bible truth. Like, but that's, this is what's going on here. This is one of those passages where if we don't do theology, we don't do the passage, okay? Um, so verse four, Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good that we are here. If you wish, I'll make three tents here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. And Peter just gets ignored, okay? Like, Peter just gets ignored. Because God's going to speak over him. But here's the thing. Peter's probably not wrong. He's just not right. You know, like, let's make three tents. Why? So you can dwell in them. God's messengers used to dwell in tents. Let's dwell in them. Let's make three tents. Why? So we can prolong the moment. Like, this is good stuff. Generations have waited for this stuff. Let's keep it. Let's prolong it. Except That was all of the appetizer because next, verse 5, while Peter was still laying out his master plan, a bright cloud overshadowed the mountain and a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to So for the second time in the life and ministry of Jesus, we have God speaking from the heavens through a cloud to affirm who Jesus is and confirm his place in the plan and work of God. This is my beloved son, status, my son, 
the one who represents me, the one who makes me known, with whom I'm well pleased. What he's doing is my plan. I'm not disappointed in him. I affirm and celebrate what he's doing. Well pleased. Third, listen to him. So then we're told, when the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. I think that's an appropriate response. I've been taken up on a lonely mountain. I'm seeing the guy that brought me up the mountain, but he doesn't look the way he did while we were walking up the mountain. I think I'm seeing Moses and Elijah hanging out and talking with him. And then some clouds have come over this mountain and I think God's talking to me. Either you're crazy or you should be overwhelmed. They were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them saying, rise and have no fear. And when they lifted their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus So Peter, James, and John have been given a vision of who Jesus is, of Jesus' status as the Messiah, the Redeemer, the Lord, and they've been told to follow and listen to him, and then they have been comforted by the human Jesus. They've been comforted by the one whom they've followed And now they have a clear vision of who he is. So before we move into the second part of this passage, let's do pause and do a little bit of application here. What what are we supposed to take from this passage? I have three things. They all flow. I think the longer you guys come to Redeemer, you're going to realize I'm the least creative person you've ever been around. They all flow right out of verse 5. So we're looking at this sentence. This is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. So first, this passage tells us about the identity of Jesus. Jesus is the beloved son. Jesus is the son of God who took on human flesh to carry out the work of God and be the redeemer of God's people. This is who Jesus is. We said last week on Resurrection Sunday, the death, burial, and resurrection testify to this. For these guys, they got to see it and have it testified to them earlier, but the affirmation is the same. Jesus is the one who brings the work of God, the plans of God, the blessing of God, and the salvation of God to the people of God. Look nowhere else but to him. This passage is shouting that. And if we were casually reading the Gospel of Matthew for the first time, trying to understand who is this Jesus... These passages are the ones that say, oh, there's something about him that human experience alone cannot explain. He is the son of God. He 
then is worthy of worship, worthy of awe, worthy of reverence, worthy of our lives, worthy of our eternities, and worthy of everything. Look to Jesus. He's the beloved son. Second, what we see in this is God keeps his word. God keeps his word. This is why we had to chase down Elijah and Moses. The coming of Jesus is what God had prepared and promised his people from the very beginning. We say that again. The coming of Jesus was not an accident. It was not a plan B. It wasn't making up for lost time. The coming of Jesus was at just the right time to carry out the one plan of God to build a kingdom that would last forever with his son Jesus at the center. The scriptures have been telling of and promising this from the very beginning. Genesis chapter 3. A son of Adam will come who will wound the head of the serpent while only having his heel bruised. And this promise unfolding and unfolding and unfolding. And so when we get here and Moses and Elijah, the two promised ones to look for when we think of Messiah, are hanging around Jesus, talking with him. The triggers going off are not just, oh, this is awesome, let's build a tent. Now clearly that's where Peter was. But the triggers going off also are God's word is being kept right before our very eyes. The coming of Jesus was great news, but it also was fulfillment. God keeps his word. And which, by the way, later, Peter would write that God keeping his word in Jesus should cause us to have greater confidence in the word of God throughout all of our existence. Let me say that one more time. Peter would later connect the dot further and say, God keeping his word in Christ should give us greater confidence in God and his word for all of our day-to-day living. This is 2 Peter Chapter 1, verse 16. Don't, don't turn there, but write it down if you're taking notes. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16. Peter says, We did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. Does that sound familiar? Peter's saying, we saw it on the mountain. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. Verse 19, listen carefully. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place 
until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. What's Peter saying? He's saying what we saw on the mountain confirmed the promises. And because the promises are affirmed and confirmed, we lean more deeply into them. Don't look for another Mount of Transfiguration. Look to the promises of God that are fulfilled on the Mount of Transfiguration. And dare I say, we have Christians all throughout our land that are looking for the next mountain instead of looking to the God who promises up and down day by day. And then if he kindly takes you to the Mount of Transfiguration, enjoy it and worship and fall down and promise to build tents and do whatever you need to, but follow the Lord as he's revealed himself. By the way, that's what Peter says. Knowing, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That's 1 Peter chapter 1. I'm sorry, 2 Peter chapter 1 verses 16 through 21. Third. So this shows us something about the identity of Jesus. It shows us something about the fulfillment of scripture in Jesus. And third, it tells us what to do. It tells us what to do. And so I love the scriptures that apply themselves for us. Look again at verse The voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And then what's the imperative? Listen to him. Listen to him. I don't think that listen simply means hear the words, but it means hear the words, receive the words. Believe the words, obey the words, take the words seriously. Now, we talked about baptism earlier. We celebrated that we're not redeemed because of what we do. We're redeemed because of what Jesus has done for us. Say amen. That's beautiful. Yet, all of Us who have been called by God and who have been made children of God by faith have also taken on a new allegiance to God, have taken on a new allegiance to his son, and we're called to follow him and listen to him. Christians Our living in a fallen world as the people of God is to listen to God, to listen to Christ, and to follow him. When God speaks, we listen. When God speaks, we stop our mouths to hear what he is saying before we tell him what we think about it. When God speaks, we accept. When God speaks, we obey. When God speaks, we follow. This is my beloved son. That's who Jesus is. With whom I'm well pleased. He's carrying out the plans and the promises of God as promised by God. Listen to him. We follow him and serve him. This pushes us to the second point, which I promise will move swiftly because we've covered most of it already. 
The second point is understood. This is in verses 9 through 13. I take this again directly from verse 13. Then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. There's a connecting of things going on here, okay? They're getting it. So verse 9, as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, tell no one the vision, what you just saw, until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. Now, this is a theme throughout the book of Matthew where Jesus in some ways is trying to, not just Matthew, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, where Jesus is trying to control how broadly these events spread out because he knows that, that his mission ends in Jerusalem. It doesn't end taking over the seat of the Roman Empire. It ends on a cross and in a tomb, and in a resurrection, and in a throne room that is not of this world. So Jesus said, tell no one until after the resurrection. Verse 10, it's quite clear that they don't understand because they asked Jesus' theology question. Then why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? Why do they say that Elijah has to come before Messiah comes? Kind of saying like, how can... Inevitably, they're backdooring into this question. How can you be the one if Elijah hasn't come? Verse 11, Jesus answered, Elijah does come and he will restore all things. So your understanding of the promises is correct. But I tell you that Elijah has already come. And they, that is the people, didn't recognize him but did to him whatever they pleased. So also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. So what Jesus is saying is, hey, Elijah's already come and Israel killed him. Elijah's already come. Technically Rome killed him, but Elijah's already come and he was rejected. So will happen to the Son. Verse 13. Then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them of John the so what's being declared in a backdoor way here is God promised that, that Elijah would come. John the Baptist was that Elijah. He has come and he did prepare. He did open the way and prepare the way for my coming. And what we're told is, verse 13, then the disciples understood what Jesus was saying to them. Friends, My prayer for me and us together is that by the work of God's Spirit, we would have clarity and understanding who Jesus is, what he's doing, what his purposes are, and what he's calling us to do. I'm praying that those of us who are clouded by questions or doubts or confusion, that the Spirit of the Lord would just keep lifting up Jesus, keep unfolding the story such that we would see who God is and see what He's doing and have true understanding. Because true understanding 
is cognitive, but not merely cognitive. True understanding of God and his son and his purposes will move us to faith and trust and worship and obedience. So if all we take from a a more theologically dense sermon is aha moments and that's good to know and thanks for the reminder, then we've missed the point. We haven't understood. But if aha moments and that's good to know and thanks for the reminder move us to now I worship Jesus more fully, now I trust him more deeply. Now I hate my sin more and want to honor him more. Now I listen to him more attentively. And now I'm ready to follow him all the way to Jerusalem, all the way to the cross. In the words of chapter 16, to take up my cross and deny myself and follow him. If that's where we're being moved, then we are understanding. And so, to a whole bunch of Christians who have a way more access to knowledge than generations upon generations upon generations. I'm praying that we wouldn't be satisfied with knowledge, but I'm praying for a knowledge of who God is that makes us love him and worship him and want to have relationship with him and hear his words and listen to them. This is what I am praying for us. Now, the final word is this. We don't have to be perfect in our understanding, perfect in our obedience, perfect in our love, or quite frankly, perfect in anything. Christ came, lived, died, and rose again, knowing that we're all perfectly imperfect, knowing that we all fail miserably, and yet he died for us that we could be called his son. He died for us so that we could be called beloved. He died for us so that we could be given a place in his family and his kingdom. So if by faith we trust in Christ, then we stand with Christ as those whom are loved, accepted, forgiven, welcomed, cared for, and nurtured by God, because Jesus did all the work for us. Oh, dear friends, let's understand this today. So we run to him in faith. So our Father in God, we pray now you would take your word as revealed in Matthew 17. And we pray you would work through it in your people. Lord, as much as what has been spoken here today is faithful to you, I pray that you would cause us to hear and receive and believe and repent appropriately and walk in your ways, hopefully, and that you would bear much fruit in us. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.